Well, if you'll turn in a copy of God's Word to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Um, a good way to remember where Colossians is, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, God's electric power company. Uh, so Colossians chapter 3. Uh, we're looking this morning at just a few verses. Colossians 3 verses 18 through 21. And as you're able, if you'll please stand for the reading of God's Word. Hear now the infallible and inerrant and authoritative Word of God. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Uh, so, Father, we ask that by your Spirit that you would give us ears to hear today, and that you would use your Word to change us and to transform us by the renewal of our minds, that we may be able to discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We ask these things in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Please be seated. From creation, from creation, so a long time. From creation, God has expressly provided directions for how the family is supposed to operate and how the members of a family are to relate one to the other. Let me say that again. From creation, God has expressly provided directions for how the family is supposed to operate and how the members of the family are to relate one to the other. We live in a cultural moment, however, that rejects any kind of authority structure or delineation of roles. Those things are seen more and more as a violation of human rights. How dare you ever tell me something that I don't want to do? It turns out, however, that God actually knows what He's talking about. God actually does know what He's talking about. Uh, and perhaps it would be helpful if we followed His directions. You know, he has created from creation the family as the most basic and most important building block of society. As the family goes, so goes, so goes the culture and the society. You know, when a building is made up of blocks, let's say cinder blocks, it is important that each block has structural integrity if... The family is the building block, and as they are put together, we have society. Then, then it is important that the building block itself has uh, structural integrity, that the cracks are minimized and the shape is uniformed. And when that happens, the wall, the building that is built out of those blocks is beautiful and healthy, and it leads to a healthy society. But perhaps a center block isn't the best illustration because no matter what you do with a center block, it's just really hard to make a beautiful building out of one, isn't it? Uh, you have to cover it with something. What our culture, though, sees as limiting and oppressive actually is the very thing that provides the necessary structure for beauty, blessing, and flourishing. And so maybe a cake is a better illustration. 
You know, in order to make a cake, there are parts that have to be present. You have to have, if it's going to be a fluffy cake, there has to be fat involved. Uh, I'm not going to pretend to know what else is needed. Uh, has to have sugar in order to taste good. There are certain things that must take place. And if you bake it at 1,000 degrees, it's not going to turn out well. Nor at 50 degrees, it's not going to turn out well. There are certain parts that must be there. But within that structure, within those necessary ingredients, there, there is such space for freedom and beauty in order to make something that tastes really good. But if we look at a cake and say, I'm not going to do it with flour or a flour substitute, guess what? You don't have a cake. And it's the same thing within the family. That when we decide to do things our way, bad things ensue. And, and it removes the blessing of the family and it affects society around us. So in our text today... The Lord provides directions for all the members of a household, husbands and wives, children and parents, and great blessings ensue when we follow the Lord's direction. So first, uh, so first we have God's command to wives in verse 18. Uh, you know, I've often thought this would probably not be a good text for Mother's Day. Do you think that would be true? <laughs> uh, verse 18, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. In preaching class, Dr. Robert Smith uh, taught me that it is crucial to identify something called the FCF, the Fallen Condition Focus. The Fallen Condition Focus. A, a Fallen Condition Focus in FCF is the thing that is being corrected. It is the thing that is being addressed by the text. Why is this here might be another way of identifying the FCFs. It's kind of like uh, when we're told not to lie. Why are we told not to lie? Because we like to lie. right? When, why are we told that we need to love our labor? Because we love ourselves so much. That, that's the FCF. So so what is the fallen condition focus here? Why is this here? Well, when Adam and Eve sinned, the hearts of men and women um, were, uh, now were infected with sin and now have a contagion within us that causes us to move in a different direction than the roles that God has called us to fulfill as husbands and wives. So this means that though God has called husbands to lead, our sinful bent now is to be passive and to grow complacent. In fact, you, you can see this with great tragedy across our culture, that, that husbands aren't present, that fathers aren't there. And even when they are there, so often they're really not there. But then the other side is that a wife will desire to take over and to lead when that is the call of her husband. So while this command does is directed to wives, husbands, we have a lot to learn from this as well. For if our brides are to submit and follow, to, follow us, we had better give them good, something good to follow. I once heard a, a wise saying about leadership actually on this topic, and it said, if you look back and no one is following you, you aren't leading. You're just out for a walk. 
So God does call wives to submit to their husbands. But before we flesh out what that means, I think through a series of questions, the first thing we need to say is that this is not what our culture uh, so often hates. This is not what the culture thinks it is. The culture sees this as something that removes the rights of wives and makes them into doormats. My friends, that is not the biblical definition of godly submission. There is a difference. This is super duper important. Uh, There is a difference between submission and subjection. Submission or subjugation. Subjugation or subjection is what happens when two people are, are not equal. It's what happens in the military between a general and a private. At the end of the day, the general is more important than the private. If someone's got to go, if someone's going to be thrown into the battle for cannon fodder, it's not going to be the general. It's like you and your boss. At some level, your boss is more important than you are. That's not what the Bible means about submission of a wife to her husband. Submission happens when two people are equal. When two people are equal. Man and woman have been made both in the image of God and have both need for the saving grace of Jesus. And this means that the husband is not more precious uh, or more important than the wife. Rather, we look to the relationship between God the Father and God the Son as our best paradigm to know how this is to work. Because there can be submission with inequality, with, along with equality. Uh, you think about this. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are equal in power, substance, and glory. Well, you get this. Jesus says this himself in John chapter 10. He says, I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. He is God. In John 8, he says, before Abraham was, I am. He is the one who spoke out of the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3 or 4. And yet, he also says in John 6, 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. The Father and the Son are equal, and yet the Son submits to the will of the Father. And that, that's the paradigm, that's the, the framework in which we are to understand the husband and wife relationship. With these two equals, the husband is called to lead and the wife is called to willingly and lovingly submit to her husband as she follows him. Let's flesh this out by asking some hard questions. Now, now wives, women, you should know I'm about to hit your husbands here in just a second too. So, so just know their turn is coming. Their turn is coming. The first, wives, do you respect your husbands? Do you respect them? Part and parcel of submitting is to have an attitude of respect. Paul puts this very clearly in Ephesians 5.33 where he says this, However, let each one of you, that is husbands, love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I was watching uh, the Alabama football game yesterday. What a terrible game. Uh, And there was a Subaru commercial. Perhaps you saw the Subaru commercial. And it had um, this wife and this husband. And the husband was an idiot. He was a coward. 
And he wouldn't do anything that his wife wanted to do. And she had to lead him. To, by the end of the, uh, of the commercial, he was finally brave and courageous, except he was still an idiot in that he didn't know at the end the difference between a cow and a moose. Okay? This is the image within our culture of husbands and wives that all husbands are clueless, right? And cowards. Uh, and, and let me say that that will destroy marriage if that's your attitude towards your husband. Do you respect your husband? Now, this doesn't mean that you overlook major sins. When he sins against you, you say, hey, that was sin. We got to talk about this. Your husband is deeply flawed. He is not perfect. He will sin against you and you will sin against him. He will fail you. That said, the God-given design for husbands and wives will only work when the wife respects her husband. So, hard question. Do you respect your husband? And is it evident in how you speak to him and how you speak of him? How you speak of him. I was at Walmart yesterday. I'll use this illustration next week as well, but... I was listening to these two workers of the self-checkout uh, line, because apparently I work at Walmart, and, uh, and they were talking really bad about their boss. I mean, they were just giving him, I, I mean, just all sorts of grief. He wasn't right there. And I was thinking, man, these folks don't respect their boss. How we speak about someone can really show our hearts if we respect that person or not. By the way, there's a side illustration. Husbands, never speak ill of your wife. Ever. Ever. I'm, I'm serious about this. When the guys are sitting around at the hunting camp and everybody's bemoaning how terrible their wife is, don't you get involved with that. Don't do it. Second, wives, are there ways in which you're undermining your husband's authority? Are there ways in which you're undermining, intentionally or unintentionally, your husband's authority? Third, Wives, are you letting your husband lead? Are you letting your husband lead? Or or do you assume control of all decisions, agendas, and plans? Your husband needs help leading, so give him space to lead. That doesn't mean he makes all the decisions without consulting you. That's not what this means. It's like a partnership in which one person has 51%, the other one has 49%. Would it ever be wise for the person who has 51% who has to work with the other person, would it ever be wise to make major decisions without consulting the 49%? That that, that would not be helpful at all, would it? Um, All right. Well, now that I've alienated one half of the congregation, let's turn to the other as we discuss God's commands to the husbands here in verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. You know, while at first this might not appear so, this is a deeply countercultural statement that Paul makes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because in Paul's day, the two main cultures, the Jews and the Greeks, women had it really rough in both of those cultures. In the Jewish world, wives were basically the possession of her husband and could be divorced for any reason without cause and no place for redress. In fact, when that happened, they were basically destitute and uh, were more or less widows and had no real hope. Um, in the Greek world, wives, get this, I didn't know this. 
In the Greek world, wives were not allowed to be outside of the home alone, ever. And when it came time for mealtime, they couldn't even sit with their families in order to eat. They had to eat somewhere else. That's real bad, isn't it? And so Paul, in the midst of this, says, hey, husbands, love your brides and don't be harsh with them. It's like a bombshell dropped on a battlefield. He says, this is not how it's supposed to be. Other, scripture, other passages of Scripture reinforce this, make it worse, or not worse, harder. That's the word I was looking for. Ephesians 5.25, Husband, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. What is the standard, husbands, for which, by which we are to judge our love for our brides? It's nothing less than the perfect, unfaltering, unfailing, steadfast love of Christ for His church, for His people. That's a pretty high standard. And how was this love of Christ communicated, demonstrated, and manifested? By Christ laying down His life for His bride, the church. Remember the fallen condition focus, the FCF, of of why is this text here? What problem is it seeking to address? Well, with husbands, lots. Lots. First, it, it is a check to make sure that husbands don't confuse leadership with control. Those two things are very very different. Husbands, you don't get to control your wives. You don't get to micromanage them. They don't have to check in with you every 30 minutes. That's not a godly marriage. Okay? Secondly, because God made men to more naturally go to war and to protect his family and to engage in manual labor, those are good things. But sometimes those attitudes come home and infest a marriage where someone will go from commanding men in the battlefield to coming home and commanding his family at home. That's not what God calls us to. Instead, the husband is to love his wife with a deep abiding love, and this love is especially communicated, demonstrated, and manifested in the same way that Christ did so. And how is that? Through self-sacrificial service. The kind of leadership which the Lord calls husbands and fathers to is called servant leadership. And servant leadership is based upon the principle that it is the role of the leader not necessarily first to look out for his own interests, but rather for the interests of those whom he serves. To look, to use his position not to seek his own blessing, but the blessing of those with whom he lives. The servant leader does not insist upon his own rights. Christ did not insist upon his own rights, did he? Remember before Pilate, he opened not his mouth. But instead, the servant leader is called to get in the trenches like Christ, God himself, got in the trenches of sinful life, of sinful man, uh, uh, living the perfect life that we could not, rolling up our sleeves and working in the ditches, serving our brides. What a high, can we say impossible calling? I don't think so because that which God calls us to, he also equips us for. And this is the standard. You know, when the disciples were bickering about who was the most important and who was going to sit at the right hand or left hand of Jesus in his kingdom, that is, who would have the most authority and who would, who would have the most honor, he says, look, that's what the Gentiles do. And they lord it over those whom they have control. But not so among you, he says in Mark chapter 10, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. 
Whoever be first among you must be slave of all, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. So husbands, here are your hard questions. Are you being harsh with your wife? Are you being harsh with your wife? It will destroy your marriage. God calls husbands to lead with love rather than a harsh word. Anyone can yell. Anyone can be demanding. Anyone can demean someone. That is the way of the world. But the lordship of Christ and the husband and wife relationship looks like the husband cherishing his wife rather than belittling, micromanaging, or constantly criticizing. Are you constantly criticizing your wife? That's not okay. You know, in 1 Peter 3, 7, um, Peter says that we are to husbands to live with our wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. The weaker vessel here, it, refers, it, it can really refer to fine china. If you had a 1400s Ming Dynasty vase, what would you do with it? Well, you would cherish it, and you would prize it, and you would put it in a place of great honor and schedule it with your insurance agent, right? Because it would be so precious to you. That's the idea. That husbands, that we would prize and cherish our brides, raising her up, lifting her up, putting her in high esteem in our hearts. Which leads us to the second hard question. Are you prioritizing your wife? Are you prioritizing your wife? Men, in our lives, it's meant to be God, family, others, right? And within family, there is a hierarchy, and it is husband and wife first. This is super important. If the husband and wife don't have a healthy relationship, there will not be a healthy relationship with children. And children need to know that the most important relationship in the home is the husband and the wife. They need to hear that, and they need to see that. Are you prioritizing your relationship with your bride? I'm just going to mention two words and stop there because it might be meddling. Football and hunting. Season's coming up, guys. I love hunting. And football sure is fun. Anybody stay up till the end of the Auburn game last night? What time did it end? Like 1.30 in the morning? One. Wow. Man, that's why you're all so tired this morning. <laughs> I told Sean if he was going to be here, he could sleep during the service. But he's, he's doing his Gideon thing today. Um, do we prioritize our wives? Third, are you serving your wife? You know, to, to use hyperbole, maybe backwards hyperbole, Jesus inconvenienced himself uh, to save us. Isn't that like the understatement of the century? Right? And yet that is the standard by which we are to serve our wives, to lay down our life for them. Is one thing, if someone came in and said, you or your wife, whom shall I kill? I, I believe most of you would say me, right? The husband. That's a lot easier than what God actually calls us to, and that's daily dying to ourselves. I like what one commentator put it. He said that the rubber meets the road where we have to make a decision between the free tickets to the baseball game and fixing the leaky faults that we promised to fix. Daily dying. Daily dying. 
All right, it's time to uh, speak to your children now. Uh, the third in verse 20, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Now remember, submissiveness happens between equals. And so the text says, wives, submit to your husbands, because it's an equal thing, right? Uh, this is not. Uh, men, uh, parents and children are both made in the image of God, uh, but God has set the, the authority structure within a home different between a husband and wife and parents and their children. Uh, God tells wives to, to be submissive. He tells children to obey. And that's a whole different level. It's a whole different level. You know, it is imperative. What does this mean? It is imperative that children obey their parents. Uh, you know, Romans 1, when you have this terrible list of all these things that are happening in a culture that is turned away from God, when God has, has let go of a society or an individual and just turned them over to themselves, do you know one of those things is children not obeying their parents? That's how, that's, in the Old Testament, children for high-handed disobedience, not like you forgot to take the trash out kind of disobedience, you could be stoned. That's how, that's how imperative obedience is. And why is that? Because their souls are at stake. How do children learn to fear and to love God and to obey Him? It is by growing up, learning to fear and obey their parents. In a godly fear, right? This isn't terror. This is being obedient. For a child, what does it look like to live out his or her Christian life? Well, primarily, it looks like being obedient to your parents. Now, we have to have all sorts of qualifiers, right? Uh, this, is, this is not an ungodly command. This is not abuse. None of those things qualify for obedience. Um, but it is important that they follow their parents in obedience so that they might learn to love God. Now, this means, too, that fathers, our, our call is, husbands, our call is to lead our wives spiritually it is our job to set the spiritual tone of the household. And it is our job to instruct our children in the things of God. You know, uh, we, we need to be reading Scripture with our children and praying with them. Uh, church is great. Sunday school is great. Please bring your children to all those things. Uh, but they need more than that. They need that daily instruction in the things of God. Whose job is it to make sure that children obey? It's a twofold responsibility. Uh, first, it is the responsibility of the child to be obedient. But two, it is for parents because we do our children no favors when we let our children consistently rebel against us, constantly say no to us, and disobey without consequences. It is important that we let our children reap what they have sown. It is important that we let our children reap what they have sown. Now, there's always place for mercy. And praise God that He is merciful to us. But when we constantly and consistently remove the consequences for bad behavior from our children, we are teaching them that disobedience is okay. And you know, one day they'll have a boss. And that won't work. Um... So, children, I have some questions for you. Are you obeying your parents? 
Uh, we talked in Sunday school this morning with the youth about our attitudes. You know, that if, if, we, if you clean up your room when you're supposed to and the whole time you're muttering under your breath that you hate this and don't like it and you wish you're doing something else, is that really obedience? Now, we actually had a great conversation about that because on some level it is. We're called to obey even when our hearts don't want to, but, but God wants our hearts, not just our actions. All right, finally, fathers. Uh, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Um, so Paul, you know, Paul wants Jesus, the Lord, wants us to help our children to follow God and to obey their parents. But we have to be really careful how we do that. That we don't bring into the home such a harsh uh, spirit and that we're not crafting an atmosphere of criticism in which the child can never do anything right. I sure am glad that God accepts our good works even when they're tainted with flaws. Do we have that same attitude towards our children? Uh, are we, are we, or are we constantly belittling them? Fathers, not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. The idea here is lest they lose heart. You know, just this, that God has made men to be warriors, to work hard, to be adventurers, but when we bring that, that kind of drivenness that is required in those vocations to the home with our wives and our children, it can squash them rather than give them the freedom to succeed uh, and to do well. To have expectations of perfection will actually just lead your children to run away from God rather than to run to God. And so this means that husbands, wives, children, mothers, fathers, grandparents, grandchildren, we've got to know Jesus. Because we need His grace for all the times we mess up. Have you messed up as a parent? I hope you know you have. Because we all have. I'm sure I've done it today. Uh, and it's okay. God forgives us and He helps us. But you know, sometimes one of the most powerful things you can do is to say, I'm sorry. To ask for forgiveness of your husband or your wife or your children or your grandchildren. I'm really sorry. And it's not too late. You know, if your children are grown, it's not like there's a statute of limitations on repentance. You really can say, you know, I made some real mistakes. And I'm sorry for these things. And that can bring a lot of healing, a lot of healing to a relationship. But that kind of heart can only come from walking with Jesus and having accepted His grace and His love for you, a sinner. See, God loved you so much that He gave up His only Son. Can you imagine that? You know, who would die for someone? Now maybe... Romans 5 tells us for a righteous person, but, but, but not for me. Except that's what my Savior did. And that's what your Savior did for you. And He can redeem and He can restore relationships because that's what He has done between you and the Father. He has brought peace between you and God. 
when you and I rebelled against Him. And He gives us grace for tomorrow. And He helps us as we seek to be better husbands, better fathers, better wives. Who did I forget? Better mothers, better children. As we rely upon His grace. Because our good, good Father, He loves us with an everlasting and steadfast love and we are secure in Him. And there is hope for your relationship. The gospel of Christ is strong enough to bring healing to any relationship. Any relationship. Avail yourself of that. Run to Him. Bring Him your needs and He will help you. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank You for Your love for us, that You would send Your Son to die for us, we who had rebelled against You. Lord, I pray that we would serve others, that we would serve each other, and that You, O Christ, uh, would be the head of the home. We pray these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Well, if you'll find a hymnal and turn to 363, as we sing verses 1 and 3. One in three of more love to thee. to you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace both now and forevermore. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.